0: how's it going everybody it is right around 11 o'clock friday friday morning uh august the 16th 2019 and it is time for the 45th trip down the homeward path this is the show by me my name is adam and i am a husband father of three and i work a 42 plus hour a week job and somehow some way i still find a way to make competitive magic on a extremely tight budget work. So, you know, if I can impart any lessons of what I'm doing onto you so that you can learn from either the good things that I'm doing or more especially the bad things that I'm doing. So, you know, not to do them. That's what we're here for. This is the, the, the FNM grinders show. This is the, the, you know, I'm going to go play a preliminary qualifier or an SCG IQ Because I want to play it, not because I'm like trying really, really hard to press onto the tour. You know, something along those lines. So while we were away this week, we got a huge, 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 huge announcement about the state of organized play going forward, which is very exciting, and we'll get to that first. Before diving into a category that I have just... I've been really working on it the last few weeks, which is bringing someone full circle from their kitchen table into the more competitive realm. That's not to say you want to kill their enthusiasm. You want to tell them everything's bad, but the idea of working with someone to help them understand competitive concepts. And it's, it's a process. It's something we have to be patient about. It's something we have to work with, work with someone about, but it ultimately yields some of the greatest returns. When you see things kind of click and you see people understand what it is you're trying to get them, you know, understand. And then they start iterating, they start kind of blossoming into a more complete competitive player. And it's just, it's a really rewarding experience. And what else is a rewarding experience is if you check out our sponsor over at ink uh, Use our promo code CCMTG10, get 10% off at checkout, and you will be rewarded with an outstandingly decorated playing space, which will make for a good experience for everybody sitting down to play. Also a rewarding experience is the content over on the network at ConstructedCriticism.com. Do it. Just, Just go over there and listen to it. It's great. Mason and Trey are really coming into their own on CC. Um. Brandon and Sean pauper. I mean pauper is as big as it's ever been right now. And they are at the forefront of analysis and discussion about the format. So, and then there's nothing quite like what John Dunning and, and family do for uh hive mind and 10 street hooligans. So just head over there, check it all out. It's all fantastic. You know, we have the arena mythic cast now with, uh, Spencer hosting and talking to players as they reach mythic rank on arena, you know what they were playing, what it took to get there, what they, you know, why they, why they think their deck is good. Just do it. Just go over there and check it out. And while you're on the web, you can head over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash MTG. And you can, if you, if you feel like what I'm doing is worth your hard earned money to help me keep making it, You can join our newest patron, Luke green in supporting the show directly. Again, Luke, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It, it really is just the most humbling email to get when Patreon says, Hey, by the way, somebody loves what you're doing enough to give you money for it. That's, you know, that's the goal with a lot of stuff, right? Just making sure that what you're doing is, is so valuable to someone that they feel like, they, they feel like they need to help you keep doing it. That's, that's the best. And I endeavor to make sure that the show always stays up to that standard and keeps evolving, keeps growing, keeps getting better. So, uh, again, for, you know, the normal Patreon show, the show is always going to be free. There may end up eventually being some patron only content down the line. We're not quite to that point yet. Just simply because. Because there are so few patrons Um, and I you know I'd like a good cross-section of like what to work on for that but the show is always going to be free but if you like what I'm doing enough that you want to help me do it and keep doing it and do it better you can donate and I will make sure it goes to good use whether it's you know the eventual savings to get better equipment or just the ability to go to an event so that I can share experiences both in preparation and then the event itself, whatever the case may be. That's the majority That that is the entirety of what Patreon funds go to is either upgrading equipment or giving me an experience that I can then share with everyone else and hopefully meet some of you while I'm there. Let's be real. So, Let's dive in this week because on the topic of going to events, we've got some bombshell news when it comes to Magic Organized Play. So, I believe it was yesterday we got the the announcement down from Magic Organized Play, Magic Esports technically, I suppose, that we were going to be getting a new direction for organized play. And I am I'm here for this. Let me tell you. Uh Oh my gosh. No, that's not what I want. I'm trying to look up the actual announcement so that I can reference stuff as we go here. Sorry. So the first thing is they are, they're not doing away with the MPL, but they are now instituting a secondary league called the Rivals League. That is going, um, I'm trying to find the, Okay. The Magic Pro League has a clear path to pro with the addition of a new Rivals League. Tabletop Magic gets an all-new regionalized championship structure, the Players Tour, with more than $2.5 in prizes. Arena will be anchored by spectacular Mythic Invitationals with three per season, each offering a $750,000 prize pool. The Magic World Championship remains the pinnacle of competitive play and will feature the season's most accomplished arena and tabletop players vying for the game's top honor in a $1 million prize pool. Both the Tabletop Players Tour and the Arena Mythic Invitationals will offer twice as many qualification slots to players around the world, vastly increasing play opportunities no matter which platform you prefer. And here's one of the biggest surprises, which is, in addition to Grand Prix, premier series events like the Star City Games Tour and the new uh, LATAM Magic Series, and I almost surely butchered that pronunciation, by Bazaar de Bagda will offer qualification paths to the Players Tour, and we look forward to integrating more local tournament series from around the world, which is to say they are no longer trying to shun competitors when it comes to professional series, professional tournament series, which is outstanding. It means, you know, the IQ that I was hesitant about driving to because, like, there's no end game insight for that even if i were to do really really well and end up getting to go to a star city invitational and then getting to turn around and you know if i were to if i were to do just really really well all of a sudden out of nowhere because let's face it i don't i'm, I'm not in a position to test nearly as much as i would need to in order to do that but if it were somehow miraculously to happen and I got to go to an invitational, and I just showed up with the best deck in the room. Somehow spike this invitational. There's actually something at the other end of it. Like there's the possibility of getting invited to a player's tour event, which could then turn into a trip to worlds. If things go really like there's a very clear structure in place now for players who are interested in kind of flirting with the professional series, but maybe we're a little bit put off by the fact that it never really seemed to go anywhere. Now, thanks to the integration of star city games into the framework, any like above FNM restore championship style event can help get you there. If, if that's something you want to do and that's really exciting. So, the biggest thing, the, the biggest surprise here is the Rivals League. It's essentially the MPL's D-League. The Rivals League will consist of forty eight player, 46 players as follows. The number 1 through 12 ranked digital players, which is to say the arena players holding the top 12 ranks the one through 12 ranked tabletop players, both of these categories are of people who are not previously in the MPL. And then the bottom 12 players from the MPL gauntlet. And then the bottom four players from the previous MPL season, plus six discretionary invites, which they will use to at least conceivably help promote the brand, right? That's the idea. That's the 12 mythic point earners, uh, bottom four of the current MPL, bottom 12 from the MPL gauntlet and top 12 player point earners, and then six discretionary slots. So that makes a lot of sense to have a rivals league to the MPL, to have, you know, a group of people that can play against the best and improve over the course of a season to see if they're, you know, really worthy of an MPL contract for a year that makes a ton of sense, and I'm, I'm here for that. That's okay with me. Oh, there we go. At the end of each season, they'll host a tournament that elevates the best Rivals League players to the MPL and relegates the poorest performing MPL players to the Rivals League, which is similar in you know baseball or basketball to someone who... Gets the, gets the contract, goes to the professional, you know, goes to the highest level of professional, and just doesn't quite do it. Doesn't quite make it there. What do we do? Knock them down a level. Send them down to the D-League the D and let them work, let them develop, let them get better, and then we'll let them come back if they can show us they're, they're worth giving the shot to. Says the top 16 players in the MPL automatically remain in the MPL for the next season. The bottom four players will be relegated to the Rivals League and cannot participate in the MPL Gauntlet, which is to say the bottom four players do not get to recertify every year. The top two players from the Rivals League in both arena and tabletop will automatically be offered MPL contracts and won't qualify or won't participate in the gauntlet. The gauntlet tournament will therefore comprise 16 competitors as follows. MPL players ranked 17 through 20. The rivals players ranked three through eight on arena play. And then the rival players rated three through eight in tabletop. The top four players from the MPL gauntlet make it into the MPL. It's that simple. So there is a very clear path in place to get from Sitting at home playing arena or traveling around, going and getting, you know, going to, to tournaments all the way up into the Magic Pro League, which is something we were really complaining about this time last year. We had no idea what was going to happen with all of this stuff, right? Well, now, now there's a system in place. Now it makes sense. Uh, players who finish 5th through 16th in the MPL gauntlet will be offered Rivals League contracts. All points will be reset after this tournament for the start of the new season. So, okay, here we go. And then to determine player rankings for arena and tabletop play, it says we'll be keeping, for arena play, we'll be keeping the mythic points. You can be earned in invitationals, qualifiers, and mythic point challenges. There's says there's more detail on these in the section on MTG arena events, but these are the only ways to earn mythic points for tabletop play. We'll be tracking player points. You can earn player points at championship level events. These include the regional players tour, which is there's, there's one in the U S there's one in Europe. And then there's one in like Japan, Asia, Australia. So that's cool. The fact that, you know, airfare doesn't have to be something that keeps you from getting to go to one of these events. As much as I would love to be able to qualify for one and then go to Japan because I've never been to Japan, I like the idea of making your first one a little bit less stressful and a little bit less potential for distraction. By, you, know, you go where you're familiar, you get to remove one of the potential stumbling blocks for long-term success. And then the, the consistent best finishers in the players tour meet at the end of the year at the players tour finals, which is like a, a pro tour featuring the best players from the players tour. And then those people will go up against the MPL at the end of the year at worlds. So that just like, I'm super, super excited about all of this. Uh, the, the level of excitement I have for that, the fact that it just like they, they streamlined it, they're being transparent. They're not, it doesn't seem like they're hiding a bunch of information about like why they pick who they do or why they're, why they're uh, awarding invites to these people and not these people. Like this is much more cut and dry. This is much more what I'm here for. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. And then, Other people are going to do a much better job of breaking this down in much greater detail than I'll be able to. But for now, the best way I can describe it is magic is finally going to be in a place where on its, you know, at its best, at its highest level, there is a clear path from where you are now to get to where you want to be if like being one of the best in the world is something you want to do. So we can, we have a goal, we can, you know, we know the steps we've got to take to get there if that's something you want to do. So that's really exciting. And with all of that out of the way, let's go into our main topic this week because we're going to go from believing you might be one of the best and trying to figure out how to get there to believing maybe you want to see if you might be. Maybe you've been playing the kitchen table for a while. Or maybe you're someone like me who has some... some. People with passing casual interest in magic and you want to show them the side of the game that you love so what is you know it's it's easy to say well we're going to go from casual to competitive well what's the difference between the two right because there are plenty of things that i do that are considered casual magic mainstays namely play commander play a bunch of wild stuff sometimes and you know, focus most of my attention on local events. But for me, the mindset boils down to what you're looking to get out of your play experience. If you are more a casual player than a competitive player, you are more interested in the experience of playing the game of magic. Any result that you earn while playing the game of magic is secondary to the experience of playing the game itself. You want to experience cool stuff. You want to experience new stuff. You want to like, you know, you're, you're in really deep on the lore. You want, you know, you're building around your favorite cards. You're building around mechanics and stuff that, that are cool. That to me is what casual magic is. Competitive magic on the other hand is more ruthless in nature, with the goal being to position yourself the best you can to win as many games as you can. That's the difference in mindset. That's not to say you can't have one without the other, or that's not to say you have to do one or the other. Because while I like, while I prefer to win the games that I can, and I like to put myself in a position to do that, I like to leave myself safety valves for later on when being, you know, relentless in pursuit of victory starts to kind of wear on you. It starts to kind of drag you down. You don't enjoy the game as much. So it's nice to have the ability to step back every now and then dip back into your casual side and just play something that's fun, play something that's engaging, play something that's a little wild, a little wacky. So how do we begin the process of introducing someone who has primarily only ever played casual magic. That's magic with the express purpose of just playing magic with no clear goal in sight. How do we take that person and introduce them to the idea of competitive magic without ruining their love for the game? Well, I've been working on this because I have, I have a coworker. Uh, He played in his, his first tournament a couple of weeks ago And it was a modern event and he had never played modern prior to that week because I didn't realize it was going to be modern until the middle of the week. So we didn't have an opportunity to test. We didn't have the ability to practice. I only have one modern deck and it's not particularly great in and of itself. So how, how did we get Tim from and Tim Lee is a little bit younger than me, and he's he's he originally played Magic from I want to say Zendikar era, original Zendikar era, until about Return to Radnica. Because he has a deep-seated love of the card Anawan the Ruin Sage, really, really likes Vampire Nighthawk. You know, all these cards that I've played with in the past, like. And just the the stuff he likes is the stuff that a lot of casual players like. You like big splashy effects, you like really cool tribal synergies. You know, you're 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 not interested in whether or not you should play the 23rd or 23 or 24 lands. Like these are the kinds of things that more casual players are into. So the first way we really started working on bridging the gap between his his kitchen table feverish enthusiasm for playing. In reality, it happened because I had my cards with me because I was trying to teach Tim uh, Tim Nicholas the game in, a, in its in its entirety. Like I'm introducing him to the game of Magic. Period. And I had my cards, but Tim likes to go outside on break. Tim Nicholas likes to go outside on breaks to smoke. And it's been really, 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 really unfortunately hot in Tennessee the last few weeks or the last few months. So I don't want to take my cards out and have them get warped by the combination of being in air conditioning and then going out into heat and then it being you know 80% humidity because Tennessee. So I was sitting inside and uh, Tim Lee comes in and he says, hey, do you want to play the the board game on break or what? And I said, well, we can either play that or we can play magic. And he says, you have magic. So what we started doing is we started by playing main deck games with both of us operating a competitive deck. And what I did to start with, I did the thing that everybody does to start with. I gave him the aggro deck first. The, the first aggro deck I gave him was Rakdos aggro. Was the streamlined, straightforward, get-after-your-opponent's-life-total list that I shared on Riding in Cars with Cards episode one. That exact 60 plus a sideboard that I threw together. So, how did it go? Well, I, I mean, I always say you either win or you learn, and Tim learned a lot. <laughs> uh, he played against, what did he play against? He played against Is It Phoenix, and then he played against uh, b- the blue black Terramander deck that I did the tech on this week almost that exact 75 a few changes between when we first started versus where we are now but the the general principle the goal with starting where we did i wanted to sit him down and let him feel what a competitive deck feels like in his own two hands like play with the cards see the see the synergies come together with his own eyes see what he could pick up on and just kind of gently nudge him in the right direction on play selections. Take great care to explain why you're making the plays you are on the other end of it. You know, if a play seems a little bit less than obvious, explain why you're doing it. We had it come up uh, yesterday. We were playing the... He was playing Simic Flash versus me on Gruel Agro. And I was down on the scoreboard. Uh, we were playing a sideboarded game. He had a Voracious Hydra with four counters that had eaten my gruel Spellbreaker. Like, I didn't have the board there for a few turns. And he just kept attacking, and rather than chump block the Hydra, I just took the damage. Twice I took the damage. The first time because he unsummoned my second blocker. The second time, because I just replayed the second blocker and I needed to, you know, be able to create a scenario where I could win the race once I removed the Hydra. And inevitably, what happened is he attacked in anyway. I double blocked and then traded off with the Merfolk Trickster, and that left me with just a 4 4 Growth Chamber Guardian in play. And he says, well, why, why did you take the damage from it? If you knew you were going to block it eventually, I said, well, I didn't want to block it until I was going to kill it, you know, until you're in a position where you can remove the thing that's trying to kill you. Sometimes it's better to use your life total as a resource in order to buy yourself time to find a thing in order to deal with that threat. Be malleable, be flexible, be willing to kind of shift in and out of different roles. So, you know, that was the first step is getting him comfortable with the idea of understanding why things are happening the way they are, why decks are constructed the way they are, all of it. Step two was explaining macro archetypes. And this one's kind of hard for me because of the way that the, the way my standard decks are built right now. The blue-black Terramander deck is decidedly controlling in nature, but it has draws that feel more aggressive when they're against control decks. Especially after sideboard when you're jamming Duress into Thought Erasure into, you know, Thief of Sanity. That doesn't feel like a very slow controlling draw. That feels like a draw that's going to bury your opponent in a hurry. So, you know, explaining the differences between the macro archetypes, aggro, mid-range, combo, and control is a little bit difficult when you're playing more flexible kinds of archetypes the way that I normally do. And it's something I'm definitely having to work on. The, the best example I can give him of one that really fits that mold is the Gruul deck, because the Gruul deck is decidedly aggro, borderline excessively so. 90% of the games involving the Gruul deck have been won by the pilot of the Gruul deck being just purely relentless, continuing to deploy threat after threat after threat after threat, keeping the opponent in a situation where they have to answer. And that's the goal for aggro. For mid range, it's to dominate the board, to be able to win with your bigger, more powerful cards. Which is why it's difficult to, you know, even though Simic Flash is functionally a mid-range deck, that's what it wants to do, dominate the board, you know, maintain control of the board state by having threats, by answering your opponents. It's difficult to, to describe it as the mid-range deck when, you know, the Gruul deck's playing 4-4s four and you're actually scared of them. <laughs> for, for combo, I just, like... Is it Phoenix was his closest one I had to build to the closest one I had to having built a combo deck, and it's not really a combo deck; it's more like a Xerox deck, and that's just like its own thing. Uh, one of the things I'm considering is introducing Teamer Reclamation next week, just so that he can see what a combo deck feels like, what it looks like, how it plays. Uh, let him play blue black Terramander against it let's see if I can beat my best deck so far you know he's he's gotten to see me play the blue black Terramander deck a little bit more so he's beginning to understand how it plays better you know and then control. Uh, you know, Blue Black Terramander, despite those seemingly more aggressive draws, like he understands what control is about. Stretching the game out, survival, eventual, you know, victory comes second hand to survival, and then once you survive long enough, victory just kind of happens. Well, after we started playing a bunch of main deck games, we did his first tournament. So, like, we were actually skipping a couple of things down to to get there. But after, after his first tournament, after he got all of that stuff down, he decided he wanted to start looking at sideboarding because every deck I build has a sideboard. And now that he's starting to experiment with sideboard play, his mind is just, his, his, his uh, understanding of concepts, his understanding of like how to interact with a different, with stuff on a strategic level is really starting to blossom which is way more than I can ever say about myself. I almost never used my sideboard until, you know, I was in college. Uh, You know, I was, I played magic in high school for about two and a half years. And then in college for, for three back home for about a year. And then, uh, I took my break and in all that time, like out of the first seven years I played magic, I probably used a sideboard for about three and a half of them. So the fact that he's already interested in that philosophy, the idea of like what comes out versus what comes in, having a, having a plan, having, a, having a, a plan of attack for specific matchups, that's a big deal because he's learning from my mistakes and he doesn't even realize it. <laughs> but sideboard philosophy is a big deal and it will help in, in prepping for tournament play. And then ask a lot of questions, both of you, you and the person you're trying to teach. Ask them why they want to do something. Tim has a bad habit of when he's frustrated playing an aggro deck. He likes to throw burn spells at my head just to reduce my life total, and he thinks that puts a lot of pressure on me. I say, it's, I said, "Why are you doing that?" Well, I got to get it out of my hand, and you're, you know, you can't counter it. I'm sa- I said, "Okay." Why would I counter that right now, even if I could? You know I'm still at 18, why would I counter a lightning strike upstairs? I don't need to counter a lightning strike going to my head. I said, what we need to work on, you know, it gives you a better idea of what to work on, what what the person is struggling to comprehend, what they're uh, having difficulty with and it also helps you become a better player because you become more comfortable asking questions of people who are doing something for you. You become more comfortable explaining why you're doing what you do. And when you're when you have to explain your play to someone, it makes you play tighter, makes you play better. So that's a big deal. And then The next step I put down was take them to their first tournament, making learning new information the biggest point of emphasis. There are very few people who will make the leap from casual to competitive, playing primarily with one or two other people, and then go to their first tournament and just knock it out of the park, just win the whole thing right away. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it usually doesn't. So the goal with your first tournament is never never try to set the expectation really high. Just go in with the the expectation of learning a lot about what other people are capable of doing, what decks are, you know, what decks there are, what we need to plan for, all of that. That's what the first tournament is for. That's what we got out of Tim when we went to play modern. He did not believe me when I described what the modern format was, and then he played against Hollow One. And then he played against, you know, Green White Ally Company. And then he played against Green Black Midrange. He played against the, the Mono Red Prowess deck. And then he understood. He really, like, everything made sense then. And then the last full, the last actual step is to begin working on deck building concepts to help them learn how to build their own decks. Because Tim is still kind of locked into his his, his casual mindset when it comes to building a deck. Well, what if I build this trample death touch deck? What if I build this, uh, this like just a flying deck? It, there's more to it than that. Uh, you, you need to determine what your mana curve is going to look like, whether you're going to be primarily early game drops with a few mid-game drops to close the game out in a hurry, if you're going to be you know a mid-range curve with a lot of stuff at 2 and 3 mana and then a handful of Haymakers at 4, 5, and 6, or you're going to be a control deck with a lot of cheap interactive spells and then a couple of just really big, expensive, powerful cards later in the game. Are you gonna be blending archetypes? Are you gonna be marrying a little bit of mid-range into your aggro deck? Are you gonna be marrying a little bit of like control into your mid-range deck to, to make it a little bit better against the aggro decks? Are you gonna be marrying a little bit of a little bit of mid-range into your control decks in order to better facilitate your wins over the aggro matchup? Are you gonna be like fitting any combos into any of these other decks to just win the game out of nowhere? How do you determine how many lands you need based on your, your mana curve, the number of spells you have of each color, the number of mana symbols you have of each color. All of that's really important when it comes to building your first competitive deck. And then last but not least, we have to be patient, understanding and receptive to feedback. If somebody doesn't like something, they're not going to keep doing it. So you know above all else you cannot try to rush the process you cannot talk down to someone for doing something that you wouldn't do everybody learns at a different pace everybody learns at a different in a different way sometimes people only learn the hard way so in your effort to try to shield them from learning the way that you did you may be ruining the experience they were hoping to get out of the game in the first place and then they don't want to play anymore So be patient, understand what it is they're trying to do and, you know, ask plenty of questions and really take the answer seriously. That's all I've got for this week. A little bit of a roller coaster, admittedly. We're kind of all over the place. Uh, That's good. Anyway, so, you know, Bringing casual players into the competitive realm. I mean, we all got there from somewhere. Very, very few players start the game out with the idea of they're going to win every game they play. They're going to learn how to do it the best they can. Unless you're coming from a game where you already did that and then you're transitioning over to magic. It's rare that that happens. So just having a, having a kind of a blueprint in place can be really valuable. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, thanks for, thanks for checking it out. I hope you stuck with me through the end because I always enjoy bringing these to you. Uh, if you want to, you know, talk to me about all of this, you can, uh, Oh Lord, my brain is, Turn into clay here. If you want to talk to me about any of this, you want to, you know, you, you want to suggest ideas for future episode topics. You want to, what, whatever, however you want to interact with the show. I'm easy enough to find. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Homeward Path MTG. I'm on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. I'm in the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. It's open entry. Just submit a request. We'll give. A, Myself or one of the admins will give you a quick look over, make sure you don't look like a completely horrible person, and then we'll give you a shot. Uh, If you're a patron of the show, you gain access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord, where conversation will inevitably be more geared toward like show topics, deck lists for writing in cars, that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of the 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 more influential. Decisions will be made by the patrons and then you know, if we can't come to a conclusion there, then we'll kick it out to other listeners uh, with a few obvious exceptions. But uh, and then if you want to really get involved with the show, the easiest way you possibly can is by getting on Twitter and using the hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. We only have one this week. And I have not read this yet. So I'm going to enjoy this. It says, how did Mishra and Urza build their factories? With Felden's crane. (laughs) And it was brought to you, brought to us by, uh, trying to, uh, Shivambot. It was tagged by at, it was tagged by Paul Kenter uh, at P Kenter 13. And then he tagged uh, green geek, J 13 X Zach 38 and Jason E alt who fun fact, Nolan and Jason E alt's child. Soren were born on the same day. Fun fact. Nolan has a a magic birthday, buddy. Better believe that's something I'm going to try to find a way to enjoy at some point. Uh, But yeah, I love the dad jokes. The more of them we can get each week, the better. I love laughing and I love making other people laugh. So, you know, let's enjoy it together. So that's all I've got for this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening again. Love the, the direction organized play is going in. And I love the fact that I am in, you know, waist deep in what I'm talking about this week, which is, you know, kind of broadening someone's magical horizons and showing them that there's a this whole other world to magic that they didn't even know about. So thanks again for listening. Uh, we'll catch you Monday or Tuesday, depending on which day I can get the actual video to, to record and upload for Riding in Cars with Cards, and, uh, of course, Friday or Saturday for Homeward Path. So we'll catch you then. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a good week.